utopically. My goal is for the thing to remain as open as possible, to not push myself into a corner and to limit the, the possi my possibilities in the thing, creating the thing for people watching the thing or feeling the thing. For episode 15 of the Art Talks Montreal podcast, I spoke with choreographer and performer Dana Michelle. Looking around and there's like, you know, like 40 people jammed into a tiny ass like change room. <laughs> there's like whatever, I don't know how many people were in the audience, like 400 people. And you're just like with your fucking whatever the hell thing that you're going to work with for the three minutes on stage. And it's just kind of pandemonium and like a crazy amount of energies that are crisscrossing in every which direction. And it just, for me, um... It's like you do all the thinking beforehand and whatnot, and then you, in these events, in these like moments, you're just kind of forced to, to trust yourself. My name is Yanni Ali. I sat down with Dana in the living room of her apartment in Montreal's West End. I began by asking her how she came to have dreads and what it had been like to have permed hair as a child. Everything that was happening... I never questioned it. Okay. It was all normal. Like, getting burned was the big one. It's, just, <laughs> it's like, you know, and during the, oh, yeah, it feels like my hair's on fire. Oh, yeah, deal with, like, peeling, scabbing, bleeding. This was totally normal because that's what everybody went through. Mm-hmm. So I never, I never questioned it. And the first time I started questioning it, I think I was, like, 24, 25. And this is when my nieces, I had, like couple of nieces and they were like growing up they were growing up and their parents were making different choices with their hair so they were doing the like two strand twist on my niece's hair and I this was never done when I was a kid to us like two strand twist I'm like that is cool I'm like look and I was like god they're so beautiful and really they just like look like little princesses and I just remember when I was a kid like you just had these like awkward like fat braids with all like ribbons and like fucking elastics and I just felt like an asshole all the time thought it, again thought it was normal that's what you have to deal with but then looking at my nieces and like wow their hair looks so beautiful like this and like and I was like kind of like revering their hair for like a year or two and then I was like wait a minute hey I can do that too. I don't have to have straightened hair. I can also have this hair too. And so... De-trauma or trauma or some kind of... You have to change your whole self-image. The whole thing. It was... And it was... That's it. Mm -hmm. I was 24 and it was like the first time that the eyes opened. It was like oh, right. There's like space for thought in this situation. And at the same time, like having the twist, I, I started to think about dreads is that when you went back to school for dance or yeah. graduated? Yeah. So, so how did those two things... Yeah. Did they? For were sure. Were they parallel? Did they influence each other? For sure. Because it was like this period of my life where I... It was the big period of like, oh, I have choices. <laughs> you, you were... You had a full-time job, then you decided to, yeah. to become a dancer. Yeah. Or more professionally than you had been. I, I mean, I had never... I had taken whatever community center class, dance classes as a kid kind of thing, and like mm-hmm. a couple of saved my money in a couple of studio classes when Ooh. I was a teenager um, but nothing mm-hmm. nothing serious at all yeah and it was like in this 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 time period where I was like going to raves and I'm like mm, oh I'm gonna apply to 
go to dance school and I'm gonna pierce my eyebrow and just it was like the <laughs> the awakening to like individual Dana what what's going on there kind of thing um I'd like to ask some questions about your dancing or your yeah. work your choreography you said that you don't see your dances as character development or narration. What are you trying to create? Are you trying to create a mood or to show something or to event something? Mm-hmm. How do you come to dance? Mm-hmm. This like talk of character has come up, I would say, the most since since um, the last piece, since Yellow Towel. Mm-hmm. Um, it had never been such a pointed question like people people talk about this a lot about this character these characters at this point I view my work as I I make situations that I can live in and that the different parts of my interior Mm -hmm. can live in like parts that I don't explore or or don't feel I can explore or not like socially correct to explore in real life I can do in my work so this is this is mostly how how I envision what I'm doing. So it sounds like a process of experimentation and discovery, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Some kind of lab research. It's lab. definitely it's definitely a lab. Yeah, it's definitely a situational lab. <laughs> it's it's a place to to live uh, to live alternates. And you said you do a lot of research before. Uh, when I was talking about research, I was talking about me personally. So, like, oh, when I'm gonna buy a backpack, for instance, I will spend <laughs> six months researching a backpack or a thermos <laughs> or a. But actually, when it comes to work, it's a very different situation. Oh. Yeah. In fact, I like really have recently been thinking about how I'm just so um, kind of obsessive, compulsive, and um, uh, anal retentive. Uh, <laughs> about everything uh, except for in this uh, art stuff. It's my, I feel like it's the space where I can stop being so damn controlling and it goes to the opposite end of the spectrum then. Props appear a lot in your dance, Mm -hmm. dances and choreographies. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thinking of different colored tights that come back in several of your pieces. I guess tights aren't unusual per se, but there's mm-hmm. something about the colors. Mm-hmm. What do props, not even necessarily just those, but mm-hmm. what does that enable you to do mm-hmm. in terms of creating situations for yourself? Mm-hmm. I've realized, um, I w- like, for instance, I was I was reading a book a couple of months ago, speaking of obsessive research, uh, what's it called? It's like a Japanese author, she's like the queen of organizing, the life-changing magic of tidying up. And she was just, she's talking about this relationship um, to objects. Um, uh, she's talking about the fact that people take for granted, take objects for granted or or think that they're not important. And she's kind of all for, she's like, you know, ob- ob- basically she's like, objects are living beings that are like really important parts of our lives and we can't take it for granted. She's like talking about how you need to the way that you should place your purses in the closet and like empty them and respect them because they've worked hard for you all day long and so you should take care of them because they support you in life and i was reading this and i'm like someone understand this is (laughs) this i I hadn't um put it like into words or i hadn't um crystallized the thought so much but i realized that this has actually been my relationship to things my entire life I remember being a, being it when I was a kid and like before going back to school and 
for the weeks before going back to school I would like um, be taking all of the the stuff that I would have for school and like laying it out on the ground <laughs> for weeks, like every single night or several times a day, um, and like at the end of summer vacation when you're at the end ready. of yeah the weeks leading up to school, and I would like be organizing things by color, by shape, and like in, in different placements on the floor, and just like sit there and smile and just feel very very happy. Like I just spent all day, all of my life is just spent manipulating objects and revering. Um, I, I've realized the the relationship is is, you know, like I. It, it's She's like picking up the pillow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like this. This becomes um, my friend. Like an object can become my friend and my companion, and can perhaps like provide enough comfort to allow me to release into something else or it becomes like a portal it becomes like a necessary booby trap in order to um alter the way that i i'm behaving in a certain moment so there's an exchange or a trigger it's a catalyst these objects to you they yeah they activate something inside of yeah you. this is this is one thing mm-hmm. um also just aesthetically i would say that my process in making things, it it always starts out with a kind of manipulation of objects. I, I, I almost like think about what I'm doing as like a, a sculpture. Really? Yeah, because I actually spend more time on object or on th- on arranging things and thinking about the things than I do on movement or on what's going to come out of my mouth or wow. I, this is where the most care and time is spent mm-hmm. is is how it's going to look I mean I'm also yeah I'm quite enamored with with scenography and and um, which is which has something to do with framing yeah right? yeah, yeah exactly I'm like quite obsessed with with framing. At first I, I, you know, for a while I was kind of thinking, I'm like, oh, this is, you know, this is, this is a scapegoat or I'm being very lazy. To, by, by using by, by using, by having these objects and by needing, by feeling like I needed to have them. I, there was kind of like a taboo and they're kind of, I think it's like maybe changing, but I, I remember for a while there was kind of this, this taboo in contemporary dance or performance where it's like, well, what, what is that chair doing there? Well, what do you need it for? How often did you use it? Or what, yeah. you know... Your body is your instrument. Your Why body you is your instrument. Thing? Why do you need that prop? Why do you need that word? What, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it was kind of a taboo around using things, and, and it was, like, weighing quite heavily on me, and I was like, oh, you know, I'm just like... <sighs> obviously, I don't, I, I, I don't have the tools to, to just make a dance without having the things but then I've now accepted like well this is a part of how I created (laughs) it's not it's yeah perhaps it is a crutch but it's a it's it's or of sorts but um this is the this is the work so it seems as though a lot of your dance is an effort towards a deconstruction or an examination of stereotypes about either race or gender. I could be reading something there that's not there just because you're racialized, and I don't know if that's something that people do, which mm. is annoying. Mm. It, are those things that you think about when making pieces? Um, or are they natural accidents? You know? I think both. Okay. That's nice. Of, that's great to have that question asked. <laughs> Even that's really great. Um, 
there's like two things here. There's kind of you're asked questions and you're you're asked questions about things and so you start to be in this kind of way of having answers. Yeah. I know that as somebody who asks questions. Right. <laughs> right. And I'm not and I'm not averse to them and it's actually like quite quite welcome because this allows me to reflect and think and Mm-hmm. and see kind of see in a certain kind of a way um, I kind of feel like I I don't even know how I think about this anymore because I really do value having these kinds of conversations but on the on the flip side I always say like in utopia I would never have to there wouldn't have wouldn't have to be broken down like this and I wouldn't have yeah. to explain well this is about this and then this is like talking about this and which is why I try and for sure, I there are certain things that I say, and you know, for instance, writing to granting bodies, you have to say these kind of specific things, yeah. or you're speaking to people, and it's like yeah. better if you just can narrow down the gist of the idea so that it can be taken. And um, but utopically, I, it, I my my goal is for the thing to remain as open as possible, to not push myself into a corner, yeah. and to limit the the possi- my possibilities in the thing, creating the thing for people watching the thing or feeling the thing the yeah that makes me want to ask several questions how do you see your relationship to your audience like what do you get out of having witnesses mm-hmm. to your body's movement, to your work mm-hmm. and what do you hope that they feel do you, like is is there something what's there, what's that interaction yeah I, 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 I don't have um, hopes so much Aside from some kind of engagement, hopefully, if there's no engagement, then I guess this is a bit sad if I'm doing performance work where I invite people to be with me and there's no engagement or interaction or any kind of thing happening. Then if they this, don't bring anything to yeah, the table. Yeah, then, then this is kind of not, not working, but I would say that is the, the most I specifically um don't have specific goals okay um in terms of what people should be or what i want them to take away or how i want them to be in the room or feel yeah i would really prefer for there to be space there and how do people react what have they said what are Mm -hmm. some of their readings or do things strike you as bang on or a little bit off or does it matter no, this is, and I think this is the kind of the beauty of, of my kind of mandate, if you want to, for lack of a better word, um, is that this allows everything to be correct and welcome, even when it's not so welcome, or even when it's kind of like nasty, or uh, <laughs> it still comes into my basket as, as something to think about, and yeah. I, I really welcome this, so... I mean, there's been all of it. There's been, um, I relate, thank you so much, I can see it, or I, for sure, there's, there's always a range of, of things that people interpret. There's, um, I don't get it, this is, or there's, she doesn't care about us, and she, I mean, why, why the fuck are we here? Because oh, really? she obviously doesn't care about us. There's... There's kind of always um, there's a range. Mm-hmm. There's definitely that's a defensive a, reaction. Almost. There's there's been a lot of defensive reaction. I would say now, um, 
again, for lack of a better word, now that my work has a bit of success, there's yeah. less defensiveness because it's kind of like the door has been open to people being receptive to the work. And so I probably, people are like, oh, well, other people are receptive, so we should also be receptive. Yeah. Whereas at first there was like quite a bit of yellow towel, for instance, the first um, few kind of public or critical reactions were quite, they're quite uh, aggressively defensive. Where did you perform it? Or where were those reactions? Um, In Montreal. Okay. Yeah, at the FTA. But it was, it was very split down. It was very split. (laughs) The critical response was, yes, yes, she's yes. And oh, what the hell? Then it just like rolls into the dough and it's like, oh, okay. And then Mm -hmm. I just massage that into the dough of that piece, future pieces in general. And it's just a continual feeding all of it good bad nasty fantastic like just come on in because <laughs> anyway it, there's no i mean for, maybe this is like a very naive um way of doing things but for now this is what i it's it's, it's working life. that way it's, i'd like to ask about having a child or a mother mm-hmm. and how having a child influenced your dance practice either because your body changed or because your relationship to time changed maybe yeah yeah um yeah i i it's all so tied in it's all (laughs) so so crazily tied in um when i got pregnant I was I had a day job at working at a hospital and I had like mm-hmm. taken a a year of sabbatical and it was kind of like in this like in my mid 30s and like um okay you know I'm just going to like really properly just focus on this dance performance whatever the hell it is I'm going to like do the big plunge I'm going to take the risk I don't have any money I don't fucking know how it's going to work but I'm just going to like I'm just going to do it and it's really ironically, and this way everything is so fucking tied in, it's ridiculous. But I had been like holding on to this job for like dear life because I'm like, I'm not leaving this job until I get pregnant because I'm gonna have amazing mat leave. <laughs> and yeah, I got pregnant right after I quit, of course. That's how it goes down. <laughs> That's how it goes down. And I had, so I was like, had started the, to work on Yellow Towel really yeah. casually with no specific. Um, I didn't have a, a show planned or anything like yeah. this. I was just kind of working were on stuff. Yeah, and I got pregnant in right at this beginning of this taking a leap, and I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> all right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it all happened at once. It all happened at once. Because that show was the show that really brought a lot of attention to your yeah. work. Yeah, and I mean everything is titled because, like, for instance, I had an IUD, you know. Oh, and you didn't. Okay, you I didn't expect it. No, I had an IUD, and so for instance, I, it's I'm saying this because it's like this is how much, how everything is so intertwined. I'm quite convinced that my IUD got displaced by the some of the actions that I was doing in the research process of Yellow Towel. And it's worked out. How does it work having a child and continuing to I, be a dancer? I'm, I kind of really feel like. So so grateful that it happened like this and that it happened at the same time because for many reasons um he being with this like developing human being um and this um new person to love 
yeah, it really informs um, or sharpens, allows me to, to see better what is interesting for me about um, movement and about performance and doing quotation marks. This is, this is an exploring human being, and this is kind of what I'm doing. And he does so it every day all the time. He does it every day all the time, not as a job. Well, it is his job. That's his full-time job, is to learn about what the fuck is going on. <laughs> and I feel like that's what I'm doing as well uh, yeah. um, in performance. So he, in this way, he's like, he's like my partner. We're doing the same job, just in different arenas. Oh. Um, so often I, I feel super grateful to have him because I'm like, you know, all of the time that I would like perhaps be spending like getting wrapped up in the bullshit of the art world, yeah. I don't have time yeah. because I gotta come home and like yeah. take care of, of him. I want to ask about the dance community. So you mentioned piss in the pool. Uh-huh. Um, how important has the dance community been to the development of your practice? Either here, the people that are making dance in Montreal are allowing it to be seen, or internationally, I know that you do a lot of residencies. I, I do feel lucky in terms of how things have gone since I, I, I left Concordia. I feel like I have had some very nice opportunities to, to carry on and to encourage me to keep doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but for sure, it's, it's only in the past couple of years that things have really shifted to, to really a different pace, and um, like the opportunities have kind of multiplied for sure. Mm-hmm. So there's that. But um, I would say, really f- fundamentally, what has fundamentally shaped the way that I do things or the way that I'm interested in things is these is wants and needs dance which are my two friends. It's run by Sasha Kleinplatz and and Andrew Tay, and they are the ones that started these events, Short and Sweet and Piss in the Pool, here in Montreal. Um, And honestly, this is where I've probably shown the most work. Uh, No, not probably. This is where I've done the most of anything in Montreal, is through these two kind of, like, small but quite big and important in the Montreal landscape. Um, this is where I've shown the most and this is where I've discovered the most and like have had the space to get excited about looking at things. I realized this like it really became very clear last night at I did a short and sweet last night. Yeah. Yeah, I so we started off talking about this like yeah. looking around and there's like you know, like, 40 people jammed into a tiny-ass, like, change room. There's, like, whatever, I don't know how many people were in the audience left, 400 people, I don't know. It's And you're just, like, with your fucking whatever-the-hell thing that you're going to work with for the three minutes on stage, and it's just kind of pandemonium and, like, quite messy and, like, a crazy amount of energies that are, like, crisscrossing in every which direction. And it just, for me... Um, it's like you do all the thinking beforehand and whatnot and then you in these events in these like moments you're just kind of forced to to trust yourself um and it yeah it, it's it, it's shaped how i how i make work and how i think about making work really so cool. this is the most important these are the most this is the most important um what the hell did you ask me? Community? Kind yeah, of I asked how place. important the dance community had been to your development. Yeah. So yeah, and you answered Extremely. It. Yeah. <laughs> this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. No problem. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
My name is Yanni Ali. You've been listening to an Art Talks Montreal conversation with choreographer and performer Dana Michelle. During the introduction, we heard the Sun Wars interview by Sarah Neufeld and Colin Stetson from their 2015 album, Never Were the Way She Was. This closing song, Five Foot Seven, is from Tornstart Bandit's 2009 album, N1. You can get in touch at arttalksmontreal at gmail.com. That's arttalksmtl at gmail.com. Or you can follow the podcast on Tumblr and iTunes. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.